it's not a simple argument, but it's one to keep an eye on if you're looking at investing in real estate and looking at the office space market, because most of what you'll see in the property in the popular press is different than what I'm hearing on the inside. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. If you're paying attention, you know that you only make money when you work. It might be great money, but it's dependent on you. The information on this podcast will help you solve that. We interview experts and provide analysis into financial freedom through commercial real estate. Why? To help physicians like you thrive. Let's dive in. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. This is your host, Dr. Michael McManus. And we're going to talk today about kind of testing our perceptions and perception and reality. This show came up because recently I was speaking to an associate, to a new accountant who's actually based in Boston, and he had some questions about what I was investing in and what we were doing. And he was really surprised to hear about retail because according to him, at least in the Boston area, there's a lot of empty retail space and a lot going on that they're talking about still this demise of retail. I don't know if this is true for Boston. It's not a market that I invest in, but we had a really interesting conversation and knowing that sometimes we have these perceptions or we hear on the media, and we've talked about this a little bit before, that there's been this popular perception that brick and mortar retail is dying and everything's being taken over by the internet. When in fact, today, retail vacancies are at an all-time low. And so part of this is kind of what I call the drive-by challenge. And this can be when you're out driving around near your home, on your way to work, or on vacation, or at a meeting. When you're out and about, look around and see what spaces are full or for lease. And this kind of gives you an, an indication of what's going on in that area. Now, if you're in an industrial area and there's a lot of empty buildings and a lot of things for lease, mind say industrial is not doing well there. Same thing with retail. And what people find when they look at this and what I found, especially, and maybe in some markets, retail is tough, but especially in your smaller neighborhood retail centers or strip malls, they're pretty full. There's not a whole lot for lease. And if there is, it's usually been a building that's been mismanaged and you'll notice maybe it's a little more run down than what's around it, or there's some issues with that particular building. But for most well-care-for retail, from what I see, there's not a lot available. And what this means is as an investor is when you get a property, if you, if you find a property that's partially full, those are great investments because there's demand for those spaces. So next time you're out, do the drive-by challenge and see what's available, what isn't. Is this an area that is really on the rise or on the fall? When you're on trips and you see different parts of the country, now you can look around and there's a lot out there in the press and there's two types of press. And so the popular press will lead you to believe one thing, but if you dig into the business press and especially the real estate press, you'll hear other things, specifically things that you hear in the real estate press right now. The Southeast, especially Florida, people are moving to Florida in great numbers. When you talk about industrial space in Florida, warehouse space, 
there's a huge shortage. Why? I mean, if you've ever been to Miami, there's not a whole lot of space between the ocean and the Everglades. So there's not space to build some of the giant transfer centers, these Amazon and FedEx warehouses in that area. So there's really a pinch. So when somebody is able to build one of these, they've got a great asset there. And there are also opportunities for smaller investors that might be a property that's been neglected or forgotten about. And if that can be brought back online, again, amazing opportunity because the demand is so high. And when you look at areas where people are moving to, like lots of parts of Texas, the demand for retail is super high because there are so many people moving in and they need goods and services. And these are things that, as we're talking about in the press, if you're looking at the business press or the people who are experts in commercial real estate, these are the stories you'll hear. Now, if you listen to the popular press about real estate, the biggest thing you'll hear about is office. Now, big office is in a unique situation right now. In many of the major markets, pre-COVID, office space was hard to come by and was at a premium. As people started working from home, a lot of that office space emptied out. A lot of companies gave up their leases. So now we're in this funny space in office. A lot of people have found they can't work from home. I can't work from home. Right now I'm recording from a small office space and a little suburban business park. And this is one of these spaces that's super hot. Small office in suburban downtowns, places that are close to home, close to food when you want to go have lunch, close to restaurants. And it may be that you're just renting a 10 by 10 or a 13 by 13 office. And a lot of companies are given stipends for employees to go to go lease these spaces. Again, when you're driving around and you see these small office buildings, you may see a sign and it's got a whole bunch of different companies listed there. And these are typically these smaller buildings. Now in the right place, a bigger office building, especially when they're one level, can be easily converted into a multi-use where you can have multiple different businesses using this space, especially because a lot of the people renting these, they're not doing business with the outside world from that office space. It's just a workspace. So that office space is super hot. Now the downtown office space, the bigger buildings, you know, this is a really interesting discussion here because when you listen to the popular press, and I've heard people keep saying this, you hear a lot about, oh, we're going to turn these offices into apartments. We're going to turn these into multifamily because there's this housing demand and these spaces aren't getting used. And I hear this all the time. And there's a lot of politicians who like to stand up and talk about this because people like to hear it, especially people who are or maybe struggling with rent and, and are having a hard time finding a place to live. And I sympathize with them. But the reality is, and if you read the real estate press, there aren't a whole lot of people on the real estate, real estate side really excited about this because the infrastructure of these buildings is not built to have apartments in it. Think about it. An office building may have one bathroom on a floor. That's the plumbing that's there. It's not set up to have plumbing, to have bathrooms and kitchens in every unit. And to put that in is a lot of work, is a lot of cost. And depending on the construction of the building, there may not be a place to run that infrastructure. 
And what typically builders are saying is, and are finding, and a lot have looked at this and they've said, yeah, this looks like a great idea. But when they start evaluating it, the cost of retrofitting these buildings or redeveloping them into apartments is much higher than the cost of building up from scratch. So there hasn't been a lot of interest. Now people say, well, wait, Mike, I see these places and that have been redeveloped or the school that's been redeveloped into lofts. That's a classic one. And schools kind of, if we look at office, you can kind of look back at the history of schools. The schools that get redeveloped into apartments are typically ones that it's a sound building and it's sat in a space that the neighborhood around it has really grown up so that the value of these apartments, and they can build apartments that are lofts and they're big spaces, and they become very high dollar spaces. Once you're looking at high dollar apartments or class A retrofits, it's a totally different world. There the numbers may work out. But if you're talking about turning office space or schools into workforce housing, typically the numbers don't work. So again, when you hear this in the popular press, when you hear it from politicians, think twice and really listen to their plan, because typically this isn't going to work unless the government pushes a bunch of money in and they pay for this. And in those situations, typically they would be better to put that money into just building something new. So what happens with this office space? This is another thing that there's you don't hear a lot about it in the popular press, but a lot of companies have said, we want our workers back in the office. There's better collaboration. They're more productive, but there's not the interest on the worker side from there. So there's still a little push pull there. And if you look closely and look for the articles, you'll find where companies are bringing people back into the office. The conundrum has been that in the with very low unemployment rates and lack of workers is it's been very competitive hiring space. So when you're in this space and you can't hire people and they're like, I don't want to come to your office downtown, but I'll take a job where I can work from home. It, companies haven't been in the situation where they say, no, we need you to come to work because you're more productive. And a lot of companies have said, as soon as that tide changes, and, and really, this is who's got the leverage. Does the employer have the leverage or does the employee have the leverage? And a lot of companies have said once they have the leverage back, they're going to move people back into the office because they have not been impressed with the productivity from home. Now, there's other data out there that says, oh, no, people work great from home. And so this isn't at all, it's not a simple argument, but it's one to keep an eye on if you're looking at investing in real estate and looking at the office space market, because most of what you'll see in the property in the popular press is different than what I'm hearing on the inside. So the other thing that comes out is some of these big office buildings actually haven't been going to auction like some expected and selling at super low prices that large private equity has come in and bought these at a significant discount from where they were. But these are the ones when you get a bunch of money printing, which we've had or easing all the different terms that can be used for the different types of stimulus that have been put out there. This money ends up at the top. It's the people who understand how to make money 
in low interest rates, in these types of environments that do well, and the people who don't end up battling inflation. So at the high end, a lot of these private equity groups have a lot of cash sitting on the sidelines, and you don't have to read far to see that. And when you look at a high inflation environment, and if you're at the high end of the wealth category, and that's not the smaller investors, I'm talking about people who have tens and hundreds of millions of dollars to deploy. If this is sitting in cash, it gets eaten up by inflation. So they're looking for assets that are going to hold value or assets that are cheap right now that will do well 10 years from now. So they've got a different timeline than a lot of us. And looking at what was my return on that investment, it's more, I've got $100 million and I don't want to see it go away. So those are the people who can buy these buildings and sit on them. As long as they're leasing it out for something, they're trying to just make enough to make it pay its bills and its maintenance and its upkeep so it's not an empty building. But they have a very long perspective on what they're buying there. So I guess the point is, if somebody, when you hear people clamoring about turning office into apartments, just take it with a grain of salt and really listen to their plans, because a lot of them aren't going to work out quite as well as they're hoping. So another asset class that I'm wondering about, and I can't say I'm super well versed in it, is the mini storage. Mini storage is a pretty simple asset because it's a metal box and the leasing out is pretty simple. Also, it's been a really hot asset for a while. And, and from what I've been told, you know, it does well when there's a lot of change, when people are moving, when they're upsizing, when they're downsizing, they want to store things. And now that we're not having as many people moving right now, some are saying maybe mini storage or self-storage has, has seen its peak. There's been a lot of it built in the last decade or two. And so I hear different things here. I hear some people talk about they think the market's saturated. Other people think there's still strong demand. So this may be a regional thing. But there's another thing when you're out driving around looking, there's a lot of self-storage facilities. Are they advertising that they have space? or they fall. And sometimes if they're really empty, then they start advertising a bunch. If they're near capacity and they've got a nice float, they'll save their advertising money and won't advertise as much. So I have some money in a self-storage fund, but it's not one that I've been directly involved with. So another one that when you're out driving around, you can look and see, how's this asset class doing? So a final note for today is, Parts of the country, uh, we've talked a little about what's hot and what's not. And a little tip I'd like to share here, one way that anybody can figure this out is on U-Haul website or United Van Lines. And you can Google search for this. They post data on where one-way rentals are going to and where they're coming from. And it's often a much more up-to-date indicator on where people are moving than census data or population data that, that cities will post and governments will post because we all know governments can be a little bit slow on stuff like that. But this is data where you can find if you're looking at markets to invest in or you're looking at an investments you're going to invest passively in, is this somewhere that I want to invest? And it can be eye-opening because often we get impressions of things that, again, aren't accurate. We were doing this in a group project recently, and I found out that actually Rhode Island has a lot of people moving to it. I had this general impression that the Northeast people were leaving, 
And this may be people leaving New York City and going to Rhode Island, but found out that that's actually a market that's growing. And some other markets in the West that I thought were doing really well found out they've had migration out over the last several years. So that's something that you can look at when you're considering where you want to invest or who you want to invest with and what this market is. Anybody searching for capital will typically tell you it's a great market, but that's another way you can research the market and see how it's doing. So as we end this episode, I'm really excited because by the time this goes out, we should be fully up and running. We're usually about a month until it publishes. We're getting a whole new website, a new platform. The whole reason I started this podcast was to help pass along the knowledge and a lot of the information and the connections I've gained and kind of bulldozing my way into this commercial real estate world because it's taken a lot of work and hopefully I can help other people move along faster. And so we're revamping all this. So I'll make it easier for people to reach out to me. Um, if you'd like to talk, if you have questions, you can reach out. Hopefully we'll be able to do it through surgeonsyndicate.com. We're still working on that one. First will be Fortress Capital at thefortresscapital.com. And in there, there will be ways to connect some educational material. And if you have questions, you want to talk to me, please reach out. Let's get on a call. Let's talk, ask your questions and see if I can help you out. So thank you for being here and join us again on Surgeon Syndicate. This has been an episode of Surgeon Syndicate. If you found value in this episode, no other surgeons are hungry to become job optional. You can help them by sharing this content today. I also want to serve you better. So I want to offer you two things. Number one, I'll be able to give you the content in an even better way if you can take a moment and leave an honest review of the show explaining what you like and what you don't. And number two, if you are a surgeon and serious about this, you don't want to do this on your own because you don't want to make mistakes with your money. I'd be happy to help. Schedule a call. We can make a plan. Looking forward to having you with me on the next episode.